This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Open the pod bay doors, Cal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the Tame Aperture Podcast, where we discuss movies from first-time directors, indie films, art house, and much, much more. Today on the show, we continue Horror Month with the 1974 slasher classic by Toby Hooper, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, starring Marilyn Burns as Sally and Gunnar Hansen as the murderous cannibal Leatherface. So listen in and join the discussion as we go deep into this horror classic right here on the Tame Aperture Podcast. I'm Gabe Vienendahl, filmmaker, film instructor, and movie enthusiast, and I'm joined by veteran podcaster and horror film fanatic, Alan Martindale. Alan, how are you? Dude, I'm doing so good. I'm so excited to talk about this. Good. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Well, because last time we did Nightmare on Elm Street, and that's kind of your childhood yeah. trauma movie, and this one is mine. This is the one that got me into horror movies. And that's, that's what I wanted to ask you right out the gate when we start talking Chainsaw Massacre, which is, la- I, I shared some, the, the personal relationship in uh-huh. a sense that I have with A Nightmare on Elm Street being a kid, right. seeing it when I shouldn't have, et cetera. So I want to open it up there. What's your relationship with this film? And you chose this one, so why and, and what's your backstory behind it? So, okay, so this one, I had seen a couple horror movies, and I'd seen Halloween, and I loved Halloween. It scared me, but it wasn't, it wasn't traumatic by any stretch. Like, it was, it, it was good, and I still love it. I mean, I have a Michael Myers tattoo, and so I love it, but it wasn't, it wasn't um, traumatizing by any stretch. And I'd seen Night of the Living Dead and kind of the campy old stuff, but it wasn't, you know, so it was okay. I could take it or leave horror. But then I saw this movie, and it just, from the opening crawl, it just messed me up. I think I had to have been, when I saw this, it was a little bit later. I, I think I was probably in junior high, late junior high, early high school. And it just, it just traumatized me. The opening crawl is so... Uh, dark and it kind of it, it, it prepares you that what you're about to see is just gonna it, it's messed up and it it feels real and i just was I, as i was re-watching this movie i was kind of going through and remembering i remember quite vividly all of my emotions the first time i saw this movie and i i every time i watch it it's like oh man this is the part where i was freaking out when the hitchhiker gets in the car and it just i it took me through all that again and it just traumatized me. And ever since then, I, I think I've been addicted to horror because I'm trying to find a movie that makes me feel like this did the first time. Interesting, yeah. And that's what I'm searching for when I watch horror movies now. That's really interesting. So I want to I wanna actually read quickly, and, and not to get off tangent, but I want to read a synopsis of the film. For those that haven't seen the film yet or those that might be listening in on this podcast and go like, hey, I want to read or I want to know what it is they're talking mm-hmm. about throughout the rest of this cast. So quickly, here's a here's a quick summary of the film. It says, and tell me when I'm done if it's accurate. We played into this a okay. little bit early or later in the podcast last time. When Sally hears that her grandfather's grave may have been vandalized, she and her paraplegic brother Franklin set out with their friends to investigate. After a detour to their family's old farmhouse, they discover a group of crazed, murderous outcasts living next door, as the group is attacked one by one by the chainsaw-wielding Leatherface, who wears a mask of human skin. The survivors must do everything they can to escape. 
So that's what we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about a murderous, chainsaw-wielding psychopath. The only thing I, I, I take a little umbrage with that is you hear that and you think it's just a standard horror movie. Mm-hmm. But to me, and to me, it's not at all. And uh, I know other pro- people will probably see this now and they'll think it, you know, they'll watch it and it won't have that effect that it had on me. Because I showed it to my girlfriend. She was kind of dipping her toe into the horror. And I was like, all right, we've worked up to it. Now we're going to watch the most, the worst. This is the worst. And she watched it. And she's like, eh, I guess it was creepy. It was good. But it didn't have that effect on her. See, and that's what's interesting. So for me, I, I now I haven't seen this. Now, we talked about Nightmare. I watch it every year. I've seen it uh-huh. 20 times. Now, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, haven't seen since I was 17. Right. So for this, at prepping for this podcast, it was almost like going into it as a first time watch. Okay. And I couldn't be, I don't think at least now there's some, I couldn't be more on the opposite side of your girlfriend. Okay. Okay. Which is, it's terrifying. It's so scary. But what makes it terrifying for me is the authenticity or the reality of the world. Yes. So when we talked to Nightmare, the thing about we liked about Nightmare or that we thought was interesting was we're playing between these two worlds. Mm-hmm. There's fantasy and there's reality and then there's dream state and all these different kind of interactions between what's real and what's yep. not. And immediately in this film, it's all set with an authentic tone from the very first scroll, scroll yep. of, the, of the title where they give you exposition and they basically tell you what this film is about right out the gate and the way it's worded this and this is the way it's worded it doesn't say this is a true story but it makes you think yeah this happened this had to have happened just the way they word it and the ominous tone of it and john laura Kett does a perfect reading of it and it was just it, it just freaks you out it 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 it's definitely real and you get the vibe immediately whether they and they don't say based on a true story no. But immediately the vibe is there that it is a true story. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Especially the way they word it at the end when they're talking about people never would have thought this would have happened and this is the, t- the Texas right. Chainsaw Massacre. Right, right. And you're like, that's a real event. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's absolutely scary. And so for me, rewatching it again, I couldn't be on the, more of, the, of, a, of an opposite side. Right. And so tell me a little bit about the initial spook in other words like once after the scroll what is it that starts to draw you into the film and start making you think okay this is frightening well it it could have gone off the rails very quickly because the first after they get uh through the the scroll and you have all the 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 shots of the the dug up bodies they go to franklin on the side of the road taking a piss into a into a coffee mug or whatever coffee coffee can yeah. yeah And then he falls, and he's just such a cartoonish character. Right then, it could have immediately gone off the rails, be like, oh, this is campy and stupid. By the way, why did he fall? Well, I mean, I know he's a paraplegic, but what, what did, so did the, he get the, scared? The, tr- the truck came by in the background, and the wind just, I guess, blew him over. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. It's bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. It's bizarre. It's a random incident, and all of a sudden, he's rolling down the hill, exactly. and he's on the ground. Exactly. Does it have any significance, or is it just there? Uh, it, com- might, it might. I haven't delved, dove that deep into it. I, I don't, don't think so. Okay, I don't think so either. I think I'm you're just, just trying to understand that he's very, very helpless. Yeah. And these guys are kind of taking care of him. The tone for me, and it might be just kind of a, a breath of air of, co- of comedy in a mm-hmm. sense, because the thing about the opening, too, 
is that after the scroll, like we talked about, it's real. It feels like it's a real yep. statement being read. But everything that Hooper does up in that first part of the film where we see flashes of death. Yeah. We see flashes of uh, decomposed bodies. And then we hear, not only are we visually being stimulated about this surrounding of death, but we're also hearing news reports yep. about everything dealing with death, which is like there's a death in this state. There's a death in this city. Uh, and they're not like necessarily just murderous moments, but right. they're actually like, oh, this family or this person died in a car accident. It's all death. Yep. Everything. And then it cuts to the cemetery, which is the epitome of death. Yep. And so from the very get go, it's just it's just this world of like, this is the theme of this film. Like he's not hiding anything. He's not saying, well, at least it's part of the theme, which is like, we're going to discover what it means to die. Right. Right. To some extent. Exactly. Exactly. And, and he does it incredibly well throughout the whole film. And just, it, I guess we'll talk about this later. I get so excited about this movie that I'm yeah. like, and then this yeah. happens and this happens. Yeah. And it's actually. We'll try to work through the the linear fashion of what the okay. film is. Because we we're kind of talking about the the scroll we're talking right. about the opening scenes so we'll try to work through it that way but it, it, as far as it, it we're saying it feels real and it absolutely does but for a movie that has i don't want to say a documentary feel but it kind of does have it does that, it's very technically done there's a lot of camera movement a lot of dolly shots a lot of really cinematic techniques but they still manage to make it feel like you're in this you're in this world like when they're in the van you can just smell and feel the heat like you can just feel it Everywhere they go, you can just you get all of your senses can totally just absorb what is going on around them. I mean, the the actors are literally sweating. Yes. And as soon as you know that it's set in the environment is South Texas mm -hmm. in August. In August. And you're thinking about Houston and those kind of cities. Even yeah. not if anyone's never been to Houston or South Texas in the middle of the That's summer. Brutal. It's in it's literally hell. Yep. When it comes to the heat and the humidity. Yep. So it's interesting there because once again, you're playing into that tone of death and putting it into an environment that is the kind of the, the embodiment of hell, which is the it's hot, it's humid, yep. it's, it's sticky. You can't escape you it. You can't escape it. You right. can't get away from it. There's no relief. Right. You know, so I think immediately, once again, in every tone that I can think of, He's hinting on this idea of yes. just death. Exactly. From the get-go. Exactly. And it does have a it look, it does have a documentary feel to it. And like you mentioned, there are cinematic techniques. And it's shot well for what it's shot on exactly. and what it's shot for in the time frame that it's shot in in the in the early seventies, early to mid seventies. Well, Daniel Pearl, the cinematographer, I thought did a great job because it's not like Nightmare on Elm Street. We talked about how the shots were actually beautiful. Yeah, these some of shots, them are gorgeous. I would say these shots are effective. Yeah, uh, and that's why I think he did a fantastic job of capturing this world. As much as as you give credit to Toby Hooper, I think Daniel Pearl, the cinematographer, really painted the picture of this entire world that we're in. Yeah, absolutely. And it does have a, you know, there's this cinema verite style. Yeah. So cinema verite is documentary. It's fly on the wall observational viewpoints. Yeah. Because the other thing is immediately, like, even though you feel it 
and you're there in it, you're actually, I never experienced it as if I was part of the group. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So like there's times where you're like seeing things perspectively through that person. And for me, I never experienced that, but I was observationally there just kind of observing what these people were doing. It just, it felt like you were watching these things happen real time. In real time. Absolutely. So that definitely plays into it. And it's not, even though he's alluding to death and everything that he does from the very get go, for the first, I would say, I mean, it's, it's not really scary, is it? Was it sc- the first 10, 15 minutes of the film? Is there anything that frightens you or is like, it's... No, I think I, I had a sense of dread just based on the opening scroll. Yep. And then up to the point where the hitchhiker gets in, that's when I really started. Right, and so in. for me, he's kind of building the world. Exactly. It's like, here it is. It's real. It's authentic. Right. We're not doing anything over the top. These are real people in real environments. Yes. And, and so it's, and, and it's, it's got the macabre in it because you're going to the cemetery and all these mm-hmm. kind of things, and you're hearing the stories of death. But it's just like, here's, this is life. Right. Well, it's a, it's a real plausible thing why they would go to that cemetery, yeah. why they'd be set up. It's, I mean, you're worried about your relative. Were they dug up in this horrific crime that happened? And part of the backstory to that, for those that haven't seen it, is you're hearing that on the radio, yeah. and someone's gone and exhumed 12 bodies from a cemetery, and these two of, the, two of these kids' grandfather is in that cemetery. Exactly. And so, they're, like you said, there's, it's plausible. Well, let's go check out this cemetery, make sure that grandpa's remains are okay. Right, right. It brings it back to this old town that they grew up in, or they spent some time in. Spent some time in. Do you, there is kind of something comical there too, though, because when they arrive at the cemetery, it's a little offbeat. In other words, like, who are these people that are overseeing it? Like, there's some older gentlemen there. It's like they're supposed to be cops, but they're not, and their tone is very happy. Their tone is happy, and the one guy is absurdly drunk. Oh yeah, yeah. What? Who is that? So is that? I thought they said that was the sheriff. It may, and maybe it was, but and I may have misplaced that. This was, and this is, as far as I know, I'm sure that there have been other instances in, in other horror movies previous to this, but this is the first um, uh, harbinger that I've seen in a horror movie, which mm. is the 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 character that's kind of warning you to stay away, and, and, and like there's some bad stuff going on here. Yeah. And he's drunk and he's saying, I, I see things around here we don't talk about. And it's funny you bring that up because and as we go through some of this story and these characters in this scene, that's a great um, analytical viewpoint. Because throughout the film, there's constant warnings. Yes. yes. Constantly, constantly warned. Yep. Constantly warned all the way through the film. And so maybe that's what he's alluding to. And maybe that's what he... It's funny, though, because I literally thought he was the... Sh- I thought they were pointing over because there. Because they did. And, and, then it and he says to, to the sheriff. Right. And he's drunk, lying on his back. And he's right. giving him a warning about these kind of right. things that are happening. Yeah. So they establish this great world. It feels real. We feel like we're part of it. For me, I don't feel like, you know, I'm in it. and it does, But I feel like I'm observing it. And it makes it real and scary for me that way. And... A couple of things I wanted to talk about on uh, was was once we and, and nothing's overtly creepy at that point. It's mm-hmm. just a little off. Right. And then we introduce as they're going through uh, driving down, they decide to pick up Hitchhiker. That's literally his name. That's I think his name. In the name. That's his character name. The character name. And they pick this guy up and tell me about this guy and what your impressions are of this character. Uh, this is when. 
and again, rewatching this, I was I was going through all the same feelings I had the first time. I was I can vividly remember every scene and how I felt in those watching those scenes for the first time. This is when the dread really starts to happen because it cuts to, first. It, it shows the group they're all huddled on one side of the van, so obviously we haven't even seen this guy yet. But the fact that they are on the opposite side of the van tells you something's up with this dude. Yeah. And then I think Franklin says, we just picked up Dracula. <laughs> and then it cuts to him. And the hitchhiker has this just grotesque. Uh, it's not a scar. It's a birthmark, I think, on his face. That's what it looks like. And he is just insane. And I don't know how. And I can't remember the actor's name, but I don't know how he played that character. Because I think you have to be insane to play him that well and in that way. But man, is he, it just gets bizarre. And it, you just have this feeling like he can do anything. Anything right. can happen right now. And his, they're trapped in this van with him. His name's Edwin Neal. And, oh, yeah, that's right. And, yep. and I'm just looking it up here. And his performance, it feels like it's him. Like you can't, like you're right. mentioning, you can't get into, I mean, first off, acting is a difficult uh, skill. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to act. It's just not. It's hard to, for me at least, and I've done some, and I studied film and also tried to act, and I did a couple acting classes at the university, and I suck. It's hard. It's hard. I'm terrible, too. I'm just, I'm terrible. Yeah. Absolutely. It's hard it's to embody hard. something else if it doesn't feel uh, real to me. Right. And actors are good at being able to step outside themselves and then become something else. So mm-hmm. it's either one of two things. Either he's a good actor and he's stepping outside of himself. Or or he is literally a little bit crazy right. as a person. And I've kind of purposely uh, avoided seeing anything else he's in or hearing interviews with him because I don't want that view of him to be ruined for me. Now, admittedly, when we're talking about this character, the Hitchhiker, I ended up watching, and I won't, we won't get too far into this tangent, okay. But just so you know, I did end up watching, watching, uh, or re- actually rewatching Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. Oh yeah, it's on Amazon Prime, <laughs> right, and I couldn't right, resist. Right. And I want to say he's in that film too. I think. Is it the same guy? I don't think so because they have Chop Top in the second one, right? And that is uh, that's the guy who's in all the Rob Zombie movies. Um, oh geez, I'm totally so it's, it's a name. different guy. I think so. Chop Top's a different guy. Okay. And what's funny, so I know you're talking, so Chop Top's the guy with the the, yeah. uh, the metal skull. Yeah, yeah. And he, he plays Otis in House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Yeah, Jackson. that's right. Yeah. Okay. For some reason, I was associating these as the same person because Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 happens like, it, they made it like 13 years later. Right, right. So Much different movie. Much different movie. Much we won't get into movie. that tangent, but right. I actually thought they were the same guy initially. Now you're saying that, I'm going, okay, they're not. Yeah. Um, but this hitchhiker character is utterly disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody in the car is absolutely scared by him. They're terrified. Terrified. Immediately. Except... Franklin. Yeah. Except Franklin. Because Franklin he's has... Fascinated. He's fascinated. He's yeah. absolutely fascinated with this guy. And there's this scene where... He's he. I'm trying to get some context on this, and maybe you have an idea, because when Hitchhiker takes uh, Franklin's knife mm-hmm. and he cuts himself, we we know immediately that he's crazy. Right. I mean, nobody and nobody cut and, and Franklin alludes to it later, which is like it takes something for a man right. to cut himself. Right. Um, we know he's crazy. Now, then he takes the the Polaroid. 
<laughs> now I'm trying to get context on this because he takes a Polaroid of Franklin uh-huh. and then asks Franklin for money. Right. That's two dollars. It's a good picture. Right. And everyone's like, this guy. Now we know he's crazy. We already kind of knew, but now we really yeah, know. It's established. Completely established. Now the question I have for you is, in he, he they don't of course pay him the money for the right. Polaroid. Why did he burn the picture? Who knows? And where did he get? I guess it's just gunpowder. I think it's gunpowder, but who knows? I watched this movie. I don't know how many times I've seen it. I don't know, but that's kind of the charm—not the charm, but the sadistic charm of this character. Is he? He'll do anything. It doesn't. It, he'll mm. do anything. And the the part that the, the whole this scene got me so much because when he hands him the picture and he's like, "It's a good picture. It's a good picture." And you just want Franklin to placate him. Just say, yeah, it's a good picture. But instead, he's like, sure didn't come out too good. Yeah. And Franklin just keeps saying whatever's on the on the front of his brain. And it's like, just make him happy. Yeah. You don't want him to go insane. And Franklin, and this is part of, of why it's so easy to just hate Franklin. Because he's just the most hateable character. You just want to punch his fat face. Now, wait a minute. I got those twisted, didn't I? Because he cuts after. So first, first the hitchhiker cuts himself. That's oh, he takes Franklin's knife and cuts him and cuts himself. Yes, and then he takes the picture and burns the picture. That's right. So I'm in, I'm in the right order. Yes, and then, and then when he, he takes when he pulls knife. out his own knife, that's when you're like, holy shit! It's not even it's not a knife. It's a, ra- it's, a it's a razor, like right. an old school razor. Right, right. And then after they don't placate him and they don't say, oh yeah, that's a good picture, because you're right. In 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 logically for me, I'm thinking, okay. I'm going to tell him it's a good picture because yeah, exactly. I want him to like be, you know, to put, you know, set yeah. it aside. And then he doesn't. And then he takes his own razor knife. The hitchhiker does and yeah. cuts Franklin. Well, in the part that, so, because Franklin won't placate him, but Kurt, like, he's like, it's a good knife. He, and he's like, I'm sure it is, man. Just put it away. Yeah. And, and those are kind of the two dynamics of, of these two characters. But yeah, but then he cuts Franklin. Right. And it's just it. That's when it's just it's chaos. It's chaos in the vans. Chaos everywhere. It's, it's insane. It's a disturbing scene. And then eventually they end up getting him out of yep. the van, and he wipes like blood on it. Yep. And at that point, Franklin can never get Hitchhiker out of his mind. Exactly. He's fascinated. He's fascinated. There's by something him. about death that fascinates Franklin because he's he's fascinated with the the slaughterhouse and how they kill the cows. Yeah. There's something about that kind of stuff that he's just, he can't get out of his head. And it goes back to this theme that throughout, it's just sprinkled throughout the entire movie. Everything's death. Everything's death. Everything. Like every little nuance. And you talk about the slaughterhouse and they drive by the slaughterhouse and Franklin can't, not talk about how he went there once right right and he saw what how they killed him and he gets kind of energetic and excited about how they do it exactly you and, know and he even bonds with the hitchhiker over he even it. bonds with the hitchhiker right, over it yeah right. on how they do it well and, later on you know we're talking about death a lot later on i'll, I'll tell you their theories about what this movie's really oh about, interesting we can talk about no that. those are good i want to hear those because yeah that's the one thing and in, in, i'll just it that in my notes as i was watching it like i know that he's trying to say something mm-hmm. about death immediately right it's just just surrounded he just inundates you with it all over so they they uh hitchhiker gets out of the van eventually they get him out he wipes his blood all over the van after being after cutting himself they go to uh, they they end up uh, getting to the barbecue joint did you notice the name of the these are the little tidbits i know the name was and and after so it was we slaughter we slaughter barbecue barbecue yeah Right. That's right. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So little hints again, 
of who the who the who the villains are. Exactly. Like little hints are, yep. are thrown throughout. Slaughterhouse. Yeah. I mean, the, just more death. Just uh, everywhere. Yep. So they get to this barbecue joint, and what's interesting to me is old man, who's part of the family of cannibals, right? Mm-hmm. He kind of gives another forewarning to the kids. And I've gone over the years, I've gone back and forth of why he does this. Um, and I think it's probably because he doesn't want them stumbling upon because the, the, the meat he's selling there, right, is obviously people. Yes. And I think he doesn't want them stumbling upon, first of all, Leatherface because he's unhinged. And uh, I, I just don't he doesn't trust the other kids to take care of business. So I, I just think he probably didn't want them around there. Is he and, and, and also later they allude to the fact that old man doesn't have the stomach to kill. Right. Right. He's just a cook. He's just a cook. He just cooks it. And I know he's credited as old man, but I always call him the cook. Yeah. Are they all brothers? Yes, they're all brothers. Okay. Yeah. So just just so we know, Leatherface, Old Man, and Hitchhiker are all part of one family. Yep. And they're brothers. So they get to bar- the barbecue joint. Find it interesting. It's almost like he has a sense of sympathy. Yeah. He because knows- he says these girls don't want to be out here either. That's something a logical, sane person who would who knows something in the you know is bad right and then like okay but doesn't want to divulge everything right but it's like hey maybe you should just keep moving on that's almost what a a logical person would do well and later on he says something you know uh you know some people just got to get killed doesn't mean you don't have to like it doesn't mean it doesn't mean you have to like it so there's something about him where it but he obviously enjoys it but, um, I mean, he cooks the meat. He cooks the meat, and <laughs> and we'll talk about it later. But he gets some sadistic pleasure over over torturing people and hearing the screams and all that. Yeah. Um, but I really, maybe he doesn't want them to be killed. Maybe he doesn't want he doesn't like it, and he knows if they if they stumble across his place, they're gonna they're gonna have to die. Yeah. So that could be it. I don't know. And they get the warning, and they don't abide by it. They no. don't listen. They're they're young kids, mm-hmm. so they just do what they're gonna do. Yep. And, and so I've, I also found the, the plot point of like them returning to this old rundown abandoned house that they had visited when they were children, mm-hmm. kind of an inner, I don't know why, but just kind of intriguing and actually a relatable thing, which is like, you might like that. Once again, we go back to plausibility yeah and it's like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I actually might want to go back and visit something that was part of the family or part Absolutely. of and and kind of see where it's at now and what it is and so the the desire to get them to the location that's ultimately going to be their demise is is very reasonable absolutely it's not it, it's not some crazy far off thing because a lot of time in horror films and i love horror too but you'll see these real illogical moves right these real illogical moves very contrived and in this case i don't i never really sensed that it all kind of felt like the path they were supposed to go on. Exactly. Yeah. So they go, old man ends up giving them a, a warning. They don't abide. They go, they get to the house mm-hmm. and they're kind of wandering around the house. I think it's, is it, is it, uh, it's Jerry. Jerry's the, the hippie guy yeah. with the afro. Oh, he, I, I got him and Kirk mixed up. Yeah. Yeah. So Kirk goes in, there's this weird shot of spiders 
the in the corner of the daddy long legs. Yeah. What is that doing there? I, I and don't is know. It, I think it's a creep tool, which is like, I got a little creeped out seeing this. Absolutely. In fact, uh, going back, you know, talking about my girlfriend, Jess, the first time she saw it, that was the, that was the scene. That was the one. It, well, and then one later we'll talk about, but that's the one that stuck with her the most until the big. Isn't that funny? Because here's a, here's a weird kind of uh, dichotomy between the film. We know the film's all about death. Right. It's based on cannibalism. And for some reason, also, a lot of scenes stick out for me. And it's funny that your girlfriend has this scene. But that scene still stuck out. Right. And it's just a bunch of daddy long legs. That's it. They're harmless. But part of it is, is the sound, I think. That's and right. Sound is used very effectively in this movie. Yeah, they do use a little bit of sound there to kind of heighten the tint. Yeah, and, you, can, you can hear them the crawling. Like you can hear their, their little feet on the on the wall. It's right, cre- it's creepy. Right. So so anyway, it's a it's a funny thing because that's so minute compared to what's going to happen later. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it still stands out as right. a, as a scene that's creepy. Right. Um, and I feel like he's just throwing it in there to kind of just like have a little moment of like, Ew. yeah, exactly. You know? Make your skin crawl. A yeah, bit. exactly. Yeah. Literally. So they get to the house. They're wandering around. They're now what's so up to this point, everybody's now kind of left hitchhiker behind except for Franklin. Yeah, still can't get him out he of his head. He cannot get him out of his head. And he starts, there's a scene where, by the way, they get, when, when they left the barbecue joint, they got barbecue. Yeah, they did. They and did. they ate it. And Franklin's got that sausage in his mouth Franklin forever. is eating that barbecue and it's finger licking good. Yeah, loves it. And it's people. It's people. But when he gets out when they're at the house and he sees the blood, he's fascinated by this guy and he's nervous. Very, he, he keeps saying, you don't think he'd try and follow us, you do you? I think he'd try to follow yeah. us, do you? There's these interesting technical shots, too, in moments like that where we use a lot of zoom lens. Yeah, yeah. So Franklin sees the blood and he's got the big sausage or whatever piece of barbecue hanging out of his mouth and he's looking at the blood on the van. And you just see this zoom in and he kind of spits it out a little. As if he knows. Yeah. No? Something's going on here. That's what I would got insinuated. It was like, he may not know the extent of it, but there's some weird thing that Franklin knows For sure. something. Franklin, he's got a very good sense of when things are going wrong throughout this whole movie. A very good sense. Yeah. And later on, when it's nighttime, he, he, he knows. He knows something bad's about to happen. But it's also kind of a cool technical approach from Hooper and the filmmakers is that they they keep doing this technique of like uh, telling us that these characters are almost aware of their of what's yeah the potential of going to happen. Really good point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're like we're on the nose here a little bit, and we're going to push in on Franklin, and Franklin's going to have this look of like confusion, but also like hmm something's off. Right, right. And they're playing right into it, Absolutely. and it happens a few times throughout the film. I really like that they kind of just there's it, it's once again his overt his openness as a filmmaker to be like here's what we're doing right there's not a lot of hidden agenda to me no i agree doesn't mean there's not subtext i just mean like he's not hiding anything in a secretive place it's all out in the open all wide out in the because it's realistic right again it's it's more realistic right i think i mean i can picture myself being in franklin's shoes you know that something traumatic just happened to you in the van and this guy smears blood and it looks like it's in some sort of sigil or something I can imagine being freaked out and being worried about that. This guy is crazy, and yeah. there's something deeper here. Exactly. Yeah. And I think they, I love how they play into it. Me too. So, 
so they go out and it, it ends up being it's Pam, right? Is it Pam and uh, Kirk? Pam and uh, yeah, Pam and Kirk that take the first journey out to go find some kind of it's like a pond or yeah, or a creek or creek something. or something to yeah. swim in. And Franklin's telling him, "Oh, it's just down the road between those two sheds." Yep. And and so Pam and Kirk wander off, but not before Franklin notices something at his grandfather's abandoned house. It's almost like their little presents or, or gifts or something, it, or offerings. Just the bones on the on the porch. Yeah. And then the like the almost the bone sculpture hanging from above. Yeah. Some kind of decorative piece. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like someone's actually put uh, a lot of time into the the discipline and the artistry of, right. of of killing, and then like using the pieces of the killing to create something. Well, and it it kind of calls back to the very beginning when you see the 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 sculpture of corpses that they made on top of the grave. Yeah, because someone put a lot of time and effort into making that piece of art and by the way that's that is hitchhiker right yeah, we, that's divulged later that hitchhiker was the one out there digging up the graves yep. and making the artistry you're putting up the the pageantry of death exactly yeah yeah so uh so franklin notices that but then pam and kirk make their way down and they and then it's like there's the plot device where it's like gasoline mm -hmm. so the van's out of gas or it's nearly out of gas pam and kirk make their way down and then it's in the in the distance we hear a generator, which in, it makes Kirk start thinking, oh, maybe there's gas. Right. I'll go, I'll give him something, and we'll get some gas back so we can get the the van going. And I will say, uh, a generator in the distance sounds ominously like a chainsaw. I'll just say that yeah. it's just got that same. It does. And and when I heard that, and they started walking to it, I was just thinking, oh, dude, don't, don't go. <laughs> it, it, and and those those are that once again, they're never afraid to just say don't do this right. because once pam and kurt get to the house pam says like five times <laughs> exactly you know what i mean like let's go she literally says let's go like three or four times they find a tooth on the porch and he plays it off he gives yeah. it to her as a joke and right. she's disgusted and goes and sits away and then he right. walks in the house but before that she's literally said let's go let's go right right don't we don't need to gas we no. don't need this Let's so there's all these chances exactly and it felt once again it didn't feel forced either no, it was just like all. it was kind of the typical situation in a relationship in some to some extent For which sure. is like Absolutely. the guy like machissimo right like I'm, we're good it's and fine. the girl got, yeah. having a good intuition and yeah. going yeah maybe this isn't the best here. idea right yeah i mean it's a horror trope now but i don't think it was back then i mean this is 1974 this came out so I, I think this kind of helped establish those. So really, I mean, and, and I could be off here, and, and people can call me out in the comments if they want. That's what I want. Right, um, right. <laughs> but yeah, this kind of establishes a lot of different um, either tropes or just kind of plot devices used in horror. And it, it kind of re it, it kind of reignites the genre. When you think about horror films, by the way, it's it's you've got your traditional universal films. You've got, uh, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Wolfman, Dracula, Frankenstein. Right. These are traditional Hollywood horror films from the 30s. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of there's different things that make their way through and there's out thing. And then you get to a, a time 
kind of in the in the later early 60s and you'll you'll even take something as as big blockbuster as psycho from hitchcock yep which is a horror film through and through and that kind of reverberates in a different way than what the classic horror monsters were before right so Hitchcock actually has a little turning point in helping kind of redirect some of oh, the absolutely. genre to a degree. Absolutely. And then that's in the early 60s. And, and I know I'm missing some here, but just to get through the, 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 the through line, you get into this early 70s and you have Texas Chainsaw. And then it also reinvigorates different styles and, and yep. themes about what it means to, to be a horror film. Yeah, because then, then comes Halloween. And, and then and after that. Friday the 13th and then uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. And it just kind of snowballs it from snowballs there. It snowballs from there. And also what I think helps the horror genre in the late 60s, early 70s is that censorship opens up. Yes. With Hitchcock Psycho, the reason it's filmed the way it is and the way the reason he executes the shots the way he does is because actually there's censorship rules and you can't show, you know, nudity right. and you can't show certain things uh, when it comes to blood and those kind of things. And censorship in the, in the later sixties, early seventies opens up quite a bit and it allows for the genre to really dive into these, to these things and these themes of, of, of grotesque murderous well, kind of uh, villains it's interesting you say that because they were trying to go for a pg rating in this movie i read somewhere that that's what they were trying and, to do and if, if you watch it there's very little gore there's like no gore there's very little blood at all in this movie but it doesn't feel that way it does and that's what's interesting and that'll actually take us nicely into uh what the, what they do well when when kirk walks into the mm -hmm. house and pam's outside waiting and 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 First off, that that's definitely been now established as a trope, which is like an empty house. Yes. And the person going up and go, anybody home? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and this and then and then it comes to this might be my favorite scene, not just in any horror movie, but in any movie is the the reveal of Leatherface. Okay. Tell me why. First of all, in most horror movies, they're hinting at a villain. Even if you don't see it, uh, they're hinting at it that something's there. There's no sense at all. There's no hinting that Leatherface is lurking anywhere. He hears Kurt, you know, kind of peeks in the door. He hears a pig squealing, which is Gunnar Hansen, who played Leatherface. He spent he spent uh, a long time listening to pig squeal just so we can get that right. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's interesting. And then Kurt goes in, and all of a sudden, this big figure, and I'm going to try and calm down because I get so excited about this scene. It's so effective. This big figure fills the doorway, and... Is a shot of Kurt's face, a quick shot of Leatherface, quick enough that you don't know what the hell it is. It's a close up, and then it and then it it cuts to a, a the wide shot again, and hits him with the sledgehammer. Kurt falls down, holds for a second, then starts twitching. Yeah, and that sound of his foot on the on the ramp is just burned into my brain. Yeah, Leatherface picks him up, throws him out slams the door shut and it's all done in like 10 seconds right i mean kirk's death happens in a matter of seconds and there's no music there's no score there's no stinger it's not really a jump scare it's just it's it happens fast enough it, it happened you know what happens but it also happened fast enough that you're like what the hell was that what was that it definitely provides a shock and awe because absolutely in that moment like you said it happens so quickly you're trying to 
compartmentalize what the hell just happened. Exactly. Exactly. You knew going in, at least when you watch it now, you maybe not in 74, right. but when you knew going in, when Kirk was like tro- going in the house, there was potentially something there that exactly. he shouldn't go into. Exactly. But then the abruptness in which it happens, and like you're saying, the speed in which it's delivered, you're trying to, it's trying to get your bearings. It's, it's crazy. I mean, nowadays you'd have like some really intense music and he'd walk through the house mm-hmm. and it build up a lot of tension. And then you'd be a jump, a fake jump scare, and then the real jump scare. Right. But here, it's none of that. It's just like he runs in, he's dead, and out. And it's then we're a, outside of the house. It's a great scene. It's it, it, it's it's so well done. And part of the effectiveness is, was an actually an accident when they were shooting. So when he slams the door, he slammed it with such force that it just stuck. And okay. it wasn't supposed to be that way. And but that's how big Gunnar Hansen was. He could just he just it slammed and stuck. And yeah. then. It's just kind of that that droning sound of the music. Just it, it just leaves you with like, what the fuck just happened? And then we get a bit of a breath because we go back outside and we right. see Pam on the uh, bench and she's going, Kirk. Right, right. Kirk, right. are you out there? You know, exactly. and we know what happened. Of course, Pam doesn't. Right. But that scene is, yeah, it's truly effective. I think it's built really f- phenomenally. Like it's really, it, it's really shock and awe. Yes. And, and, and kind of that raw. And it also, when we go back to this, but like that, it, the way it's shot feels, uh, very documentary. Absolutely. Absolutely. Got me thinking about another thing when we're talking about that, which is an element of the film that I really like. And it kind of ties into this documentary style. But what I notice now is that and you were alluding to this just a second ago, everything now is overproduced. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some, uh, uh, some, some pros that come along with that. You know, sure. there's cons, pros and cons. But I look at things and everything's so stylized, everything's so produced well, it's almost too perfect. And I actually, when, when I was watching this film, I was thinking about that. And I actually thought, I like that it's not perfect. Yeah. I like that it's missing that overly stylized feel. Like everything's not just set up perfectly and the design's not just, I mean, it's still real and still you feel it. Exactly. But it's not that over stylized, overproduced vibe. It's really not. I mean, if you look at this movie, there is no score. There's no music. All that is is just a droning sound at certain moments, but that that's it. Yeah. And then diegetic music, like the country song playing. And mm-hmm. I should have mentioned this when we were talking about the hitchhiker, yeah. that country song playing in the background of the van, when the hitchhikers there, just, it just doesn't fit. It's weird. It just makes me feel uncomfortable. It felt like it belonged in the movie deliverance. Exactly. Exactly. It just, <laughs> and there are a couple other moments where some diegetic music's playing where it's just like, ugh. It just doesn't feel right at all. I was waiting for John Voight and Burt Reynolds to yeah, make an appearance. Exactly, exactly. It felt like deliverance. Yeah, definitely. And that, not to divert and get off two movie tangents, but like that scene in Deliverance oh. is creepy too. Oh, absolutely. And they use that offbeat, that, uh, what's the word? It's not, it's, it's it's out of place music yeah. to disorient and make you feel Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and with Hitchhiker, they do that too. So Leatherface gets his first kill. <laughs> Man, at least for us, not his first kill in right. c- career all time but for us to see exactly <laughs> but for us to actually yeah. see uh i i have a feeling leatherface bats like a thousand. Oh, absolutely he he doesn't fail because doesn't fail except for the end except for the end <laughs> <laughs> and he's pretty pissed about it and we'll get yeah. into that so leatherface we get we see leatherface get his first kill kirk is gone 
Pam uh, investigates. Well, and I do want to say, did you notice the shot, the dolly shot under the, the, the swinging bench that she was sitting on? Yeah, because it goes under the it goes bench. Underneath which is, is And Steven Spielberg was fascinated by this. Uh, Oliver Stone's been fascinated by this shot. And, um, in fact, some guys got jobs from Spielberg and Oliver Stone simply because they wanted to know how they did this, just simply so they could pick their brain about how this shot was done. So, basically— Do we have, do we have some, some background on that? Because I'm curious. So I actually easy. thought about that. It's so it's actually I'm glad so you brought it up. Unbelievably easy. It, it's ridiculous. So basically all they did, they had two grips just lift up the bench and they had it on a dolly. So the camera's behind the bench. Yep. It's it's at a low angle. And they had a dolly and basically they had two grips just lift up lift up the bench. But the problem was they didn't have enough dolly track. So they had some two other grips running to put to set the track while they're doing the shot and trying to stay out of uh out of, out of the camera light. It's great. And it, it, it's crazy. And it was so fluid. It was so smooth. And you'll notice in, in the remakes, there's always, in, in, in the other installments to, to this franchise, there's always allusion to that shot. That's great. It, it's funny you talk about Dolly Track because one of the viewings I was doing, uh, so I bought the 4K restoration nice. 40th anniversary edition on DVD because I like having tangible like digital is great me too but also there's elements to like having a library of tangible movies right so anyway uh when i part of that comes commentary yeah and i'm that guy oh me too oh well i'll listen so i was listening and you bring up the dolly track and they were they were talking about and not to jump scenes but at the end scene where sally's running for quite a while uh, or not the end scene. I'm sorry. The 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 scene where she's running after Franklin gets uh-huh. destroyed. Um, in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. And in the woods, and it's only uh, and 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 Toby Hooper and the DP's name. Daniel Pearl. Daniel Pearl were talking in the commentary, and I was listening to them, and uh, they they had a. If you watch that scene, it's cut in a way that they would sh- they would they could only film uh, 40 feet of track of right. her running and Leatherface uh, chasing her. And then they'd have to stop and then reposition and then like do another 40 feet of track right. and in different spots. So when you watch that scene, it's kind of all, it's not all over the place, but it's just in different parts of that little forest Okay. because they could only go for so long on the dolly track. Right, right. And the reason is that's all they could that's, afford in the budget. That's all they had. Yep. That's all they had. <laughs> so I like that you, you give the technical approach to how they shot the bench shot where it goes underneath. Yeah. And it uses the dolly, and I just it reminded me of this thing that the the filmmakers were talking about at budget and how they had no dolly, exactly, or little yeah. dolly. Yeah. Great, great sidebar. Kirk dies. Kirk dies. Pam yeah, goes in Pam's to investigate. Yep. And the crazy thing is, Kurt was alive ten seconds ago, and like just like that, he's gone. And quickly on his on that leg shaking, uh-huh. it's two things for me. It's either absurdly too much right or it's like his brain's been traumatized and it's creepy that his his brain's telling his feet to act that way well and that's that's what made this it so made it, it actually worked it absolutely did but it it, it made it all the more real because i like i said i i wasn't deep into horror when i saw this movie but when i saw that and, and then he starts shaking i'm like that's that's something that would happen right like i have no idea but it seems like it's real it seems like it's real because it has to do with brain trauma and exactly. once the and i'm not a doctor but right. like once the brain is traumatized it's going to shoot out different nervous things right, to different right, appendages and so right. it felt real either if it's not or who's ever listening who is a medical professional yeah, is I like know. gabe's full of shit 
but it, it does it feels it felt so real and that's when i'm just like oh shit we just went off the deep end here yeah like all the dread has been building up to this and that was it did not disappoint it's a hell of an opener exactly for, for a kill exactly so pam walks in and what transpires i want you to walk through this scene because to me there's two things, three things that are interesting, and I have them highlighted, but Pam walks in to investigate and mm -hmm. just walk me through the feeling and kind of how they filmed it and what, what, how it worked for you. Or, or Okay. Well, basically, we just saw Kurt die in a crazy, brutal, intense way, and we don't really know exactly what happened. And all we know is now Pam is going right into that environment, and she's way more vulnerable because she's, she's a skinny female mm -hmm. and she has no defense at all against this big lumbering crazy person we just saw leatherface slams open the uh the metal door and she like she doesn't even wait she just runs and starts screaming he runs out of the house grabs her in a very famous shot where he grabs her outside the door drags her back into the kitchen and then we see the hook and we immediately know he's putting her on that hook He's absolutely putting her on that hook. So he picks her up, puts her on the hook, and her acting is unbelievable because you can feel that hook in your back when he slams her on that thing. Because I think a lot of actors would have made the choice to start screaming, but she made the choice to make it seem like she couldn't even breathe. Which I think is uh, practically the right choice because once agree. the hook goes in... I agree. Your lungs are now almost incapacitated. You can't breathe. I agree. And, and this is the other scene that Jess, my girlfriend, that affected her a lot. And I, that's that's what I put in my notes. And so when you walk us through that scene, there's a few things that I was telling you that kind of stand out. One is that, of course, Pam's a woman. Mm -hmm. And Leatherface is this overly huge, intimidating figure. Exactly. Of a man, we assume. We 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 assume. Right, I mean, right. based on the physicality, there's there's kind of this weird setup for me, which is like um, Pam's death is slow. Mm -hmm. Kirk's death's really fast. Why? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Good question. If I go to Franklin, Franklin also dies. That's yeah, quick death. Within seconds, right? Yep. They keep Sally alive, though. But Sally lives. So the, the females are always kind of, I guess, elongated in either their deaths. Right. Or, you know, for or surviving. Right. And so the males die instantaneously and, the, and they drag out these scenes. Because that hook scene, you know that when she's hanging there, she's not dead. Right. She's very much alive, and not only that, in agonizing or agonizing pain, and she has to watch Leatherface chainsaw up her boyfriend, right, while she's hanging on a hook. Yep, by her back. So that scene is also it's just filmed really well. Once again, not over stylized. They no. just they put the camera in the back of the room and they throw they, it shows him throw her up there. Yep, and she's just like you said, out of breath, and it 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 made me cringe. In a way that felt like I was observing something I shouldn't have been. Exactly. I mean, I imagine... I, I felt like an eyewitness to a murder. It, I imagine if I, if I ever watched a snuff film, I would feel the same way. That's what I mean. It's like... Because we go back to that authenticity. And when I say eyewitness to a murder, right. it felt like it was real. And I shouldn't be watching it. 
Absolutely. It, it wasn't a horror movie for that second. I was like, I, I don't. This is. This I is should probably turn this off. Exactly. Well, and and if they would have shown the hook go in the back, if they would have shown it, maybe even come out the front, I think it would have been far less effective. I agree. And there are people to this day who have watched it one time who swear that they saw that hook go into her back, and it's just it didn't show it. No, that doesn't. It, there's no. no hook in the back. Uh -uh. There's no blood. Not at all. There's not. There's a slight blood on Kirk, like you can yeah. kind of see, but it's like very minimal. Right. right. And so, uh, Pam dies. Um, but I found it interesting, and I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means to have the women survive. But I just was thinking about it. Like the men die quickly. Right. And the women at least survive longer or just survive altogether. And are traumatized in the, in the, during the journey. Yes. Very traumatized. Brutalized. By what they're seeing and what they're experiencing, for right. sure. Yeah. Um, and so Pam dies in this horrific death. Really, I mean, if you were to throw it up there, just the way, like we just talked about, the way it's put together, I mean, it's up there with some of the best kills ever. Ever. Because it's real. Like, this isn't Jason killing someone by having them in a sleeping bag and beating them against a tree. This is, this is something that you can, you can imagine this actually happening. Yeah. It's, it's not, you know. And to do that without an overstylized approach and no blood and, you know, like, yeah. that's, 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 pretty, that's pretty impressive. It's insane. It, I mean, so simplistic and minimalistic, and it just works. So, so, so Pam dies. So we have Kirk and Pam kill one and two. They're gone. Mm -hmm. and, and then we get we, – we cut back to Grandpa's abandoned house, and we have Sally – and Jerry and Franklin, yep. and it's starting to be dark at night, and it's just about dusk. Dusk, and they're yep. wondering, okay, where are these guys? Yep. Jerry's like, let me go investigate. Yep. It's a, now this, but see this. This wasn't a thing before. So this this idea of like any horror film is like one person goes, oh, we got to split then, up, and then everybody starts going, hey, let me go investigate. Right. Right. And and then let me go investigate. And everyone, one by one, just starts getting taken off yeah. as they go to investigate. Yeah. By the way, a quick side <laughs> that I couldn't get out of my mind, and, and, and I'm not trying to make light of it because I really do like the movie. But I kept thinking, are these guys, is this, is this the, the mystery mobile? Because it had a Scooby-Doo like vibe it. to totally. it when they were driving in the car and it's totally. like going on the freeway and the van kind of had that VW look yeah. in a way. Yeah. And I was like, and there was all kind of young kids like exactly. going to figure yeah. things out. Let's go yeah. investigate yeah. the abandoned house. Totally. I was it's thinking for, vibe for it sure. did. For sure. It did. Except for, you know, uh, Leatherface didn't get, you no. know, you know, he, he, he would, he wouldn't, he would have got away with it. Exactly. Uh, Absolutely. You can't pull the mask off with the, face. Exactly. Yeah. They weren't going to reveal what what happened. Exactly. I mean, even though the ending's got its own little thing that's kind of open, no one caught him. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry, that this mystery <laughs> mobile came to mind. I can't, and I, that's my nerdy young Scooby-Doo uh, kid when I was a kid watching those cartoons. Sally, Jerry, Franklin, Franklin, not Franklin, Jerry goes to investigate. Walk me through the murder. Walk me through the murder, Alan. And, and based on what we've seen already, this one is far less. Because I've seen this movie, I can't even tell you how many times, but for some reason I always forget how Jerry gets killed. <laughs> because it's, it's just not memorable compared to what we've just seen. It's uh, He 
damn it, now you got me re- trying to remember. I know. It, so basically, there, he, it's definitely insignificant. Exactly. <laughs> he he walks in the house and he's looking around. I remember he goes in the house and he opens up the freezer. And by the way, Pam is still, she's still alive, alive in the freezer. She's still alive and she's kicking and her body's twitching. Yeah. And he looks at the hooks. And he's like, what? And you could just read it on his face. Like, what the hell is going on? And then he hears kicking in the fridge and he opens it up. And it's, I guess it is. I thought there was only one jump scare in the movie. I guess this is technically a jump scare. She pops up. Well, they open the lid to the freezer and it looks like she's done for. And then she does the shock. Ah, yeah. And then Leatherface comes in and slams him over the head. And that's the end of Jerry. Yeah, he doesn't have a very significant death. No, but the next scene is very significant. And this is why I love Leatherface so much. Because this next scene is Leatherface freaking out. And this is why I think Leatherface is a very sympathetic villain. Because he's in a, he's in a, he's being abused by his brothers. Yeah. So he, he de- Leatherface doesn't kill because he wants to. He kills because that's just how he was raised. He was raised to just kill. That's what they do. They kill and they cook people. Uh, and he's freaking out because where are these kids coming from? One by one, these kids are invading his space, and he's freaking out, and he's looking out the window, and he, he's panicking. He's in full-on panic mode because poor Leatherface is just at home cooking, getting the house ready for, for his brothers to come home, and these people keep invading his home. And so he's just he's not doing anything brutal. He's just doing what he's supposed to do. And then it has that shot of him, like you said, looking out the window, and then there's this close-up. Yeah. Of his and distorted his, mouth his and, teeth and his teeth are all his lips jacked and, up. And yeah. it, so it, it, are we supposed to believe then that at that moment, Leatherface has some kind of deeper emotional well, I trait think, as a character? I think so. Absolutely. And I, I think interesting. I think he's mentally ill. And obviously, I think that's probably fair. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That's an understatement. But I think he's, he's definitely slow, obviously. And he's just he just. It, is an abused little boy who just grew up to be a, this brute of a man. And that's kind of an interesting point because um, we don't really have any exposition on Leatherface. No, not at all. You know, a lot of the characters, you have exposition. You look at something like Friday the 13th or because um, it's the mother, right, in Friday the yep. 13th. Yep. And then if you look at something like uh, Halloween, of course, just the his is more from a young age, but right, there's right. just a mental illness. But we do know everything about those guys. And Freddy's a murderer right we could verge on pedophile (laughs) absolutely but we know their history yep and um it kind of gives them rhyme and reason at least from a story perspective of who they are but leatherface doesn't have any exposition that i could pull from later this is i i sorry but i like that that you're kind of going that route i didn't initially think of it that way but I, I, I kind of wondered what that scene was doing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of watched it going, there's something there, but I wasn't sure. I can kind of see where your angle is, yeah. which is like we're trying to get in a little bit deeper into Leatherface's emotionality and who he might be as a character. Right. Beyond well, what we're seeing with the slaughter. And, and I, I think that's exactly, you know, Gunnar Hansen. And if, if a lot of my knowledge comes from his book. It's called Chainsaw Confidential. So Gunnar mm-hmm. Hansen played Leatherface. And it's about it's about just making the movie. It's phenomenal. It's great. But that's how he wanted to play him. He wanted to play him as just um, uh, a mentally ill, uh, disturbed child, basically. And he doesn't know any better. He, this is what he was taught. It's like any of us, you know. If you're ta- if you grew up on a farm, you're taught to farm. And sometimes you got to kill the chickens. And you don't think twice about it. it. Just happens. It just has to be done. And that's that's what I think Leatherface grew up with. At least that's my theory. I like that theory. I also like that, you know, what's nice is, is, is 
is Toby Hooper allows us to kind of build our own exposition. Yeah. And everybody's going to be able to interpret it for their own way. And some people are going to watch this film and go, that's a fucking stupid analogy or that's right, a stupid right. theory. Exactly. Exactly. You know, but, but, and that's not to knock it because I actually like where you're going with it. I really do. Yeah. I never thought about it. I just knew that that scene meant something mm -hmm. because otherwise, why would you have it there? Right. I think Hooper's mostly all intentional in the way he puts it together. I think so too. So I think now that you say that, I go, oh, I could see that. And that might build some exposition for me into that character to kind of build a slight sympathy into what, who he is. I mean, you could, you could feel it if, if you're at home just doing whatever and all of a sudden people are coming into your house. I yeah. Mean, you're going to freak out Invasion. a Invasion. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> so uh, Jerry dies. Leatherface feels bad about it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. No. Um, and then we have uh, Sally and Franklin. Now, keep in mind, Sally and Franklin are siblings. Right. And like we mentioned, Franklin's a paraplegic. So he's in a wheelchair. Well, and then I'm going to interject real quick because this is the it. part. And I, I'm sorry, I, I can go on and on about this movie. But this was the part where the dread fully took me because everything we've just seen happens in broad daylight. Everything is broad daylight. And all of a sudden, Jerry dies and it cuts to nighttime. And I'm just thinking, if, we, if this is what happened during the day, mm -hmm. what is well, going to happen at night? Yeah. And this is where the dread fully just totally took me over with the first time I watched it. And again, I remember this vividly. And, and, and Sally and Franklin basically fall in line. So now it's their turn to investigate. Yeah. Right. Yep. And they go off into the woods to investigate. Exactly. And as they're going through the woods and I like that idea, which is like, now it's dark and now we're falling into that. It's always scarier at night as yep. we know. And the other thing that I thought he played into well was like, the idea of like being in an isolated environment, like I've actually been camping, either, whether as a young kid or whatnot, and going out into the woods at night, if you had to like pee and like, yeah, <laughs> like going out into the woods by yourself, even if it's like 15 feet from the tent. Scary. It's still scary because it's dark around you and you're out in the middle of nowhere. And so there's a weird psychology that plays in your mind, like where, what's out there? So I like that he's playing into that now, like you mentioned, it's dark. And so that heightens the, the whole thing. And, and Franklin and Sally go out, Franklin in the wheelchair, and we start getting through. And then it happens quick again. They get out into the woods, and within a matter of seconds, uh, Leatherface, quick cut, jump cuts, kind of abrupt in, this, in the editing yeah. style. But like all of a sudden, then boom, Leatherface is there, and he's got the chainsaw right in your face, in Franklin's face, yep. and his whole body, and he's just chopping him up. Yeah, I mean, it, really, the main jump scare of the movie, and there's no music stinger. You don't need it. It's just, it's there, and it's terrifying. And also, non-bloody. Like, non there's a right. little bit of, once they cut back to that medium shot where we see the back end of Franklin and the, the front part of, of Leatherface, mm -hmm. and he's pushing the chainsaw, like, into his chest like you know right and you see a little blood squirt like a tiny little bit but that's the other beauty about the film once again is all the deaths are pretty pretty bloodyless it's crazy with how violent they are so franklin dies immediately within seconds and then sally uh his his sister just starts going as you would she runs for it yep and Sally goes, this chase scene between Sally and Leatherface is quite interesting. I want you to break it down 
Because I feel like the chase scene, it's really long. It's very long. So I'm thinking immediately in my logical sense, it's like, Leatherface got some stamina. Right, right, right. Well, and Gunnar Hansen, to, to prepare for it, he would just, when he had a break on set, he would just run back and forth. Because he's overweight, man. He's got to carry a, a big chainsaw. And he's a big guy. And he's a huge guy. So usually yeah, the oxygenation, and you're a big dude, you got to exactly. like, you know. But but well, this, this chase scene's really long. Um, and it goes for... So, did you think it was too long? Uh, I don't know. A little bit. I was like, okay. I was, and, and we were mentioning this before in the technical shots, which is like, they only had so much dolly, and they actually filmed this a few different ways right. and could only track so many shots with the dolly. And uh, it kind of just felt like... They were trying to extend it a little bit yeah. beyond what it needed to be, maybe. And I don't remember the first time I watched it if I felt this way, but watching it for the 15th or 20th time or whatever, it drags. For me, it drags because I already know what's going to happen, and it just drags. So yeah. I, I just wondering is kind of it wasn't your first viewing, but it's kind of your first viewing it in a very long felt time. Like it. Yep. I was just wondering if it if it drags yeah, it for felt you. the pacing felt a little long, and up to this point, I actually was in tune the whole way, mm -hmm. and then I was just kind of like, okay, I'm getting the picture of what's happening. Right. I know Leatherface has got the chainsaw, and I'm ready for that next right. piece of information in the story. It's a very small detail, right. like a very small thing to kind of nitpick, but it felt like the chase scene was a little long. But eventually, Sally, I mean, she's running all around. She runs back to. She goes through the through the woods and back to Leatherface's house. And when you see that, it's like, oh God! <laughs> At first, I was trying to like, is that his house? Because I wasn't sure. And then right. she ran around to the front door, and he right. does the weird like. <laughs> there's a scene where she runs around the front door, and he's running behind her, and it's like the cartoon. It's like a, to a stop. exactly. Yeah, it yeah. felt very cartoonish, yeah. but it was still kind of funny. Well, and she goes in, and she goes upstairs, and we we meet Grandpa for the first time. Old Gramps. Old, and you don't know if he looks dead. You just think he's a corpse. Just like Grandma. Grandma's sitting there and she's a corpse. It's that, that, and I have a couple things I want to get into with Gramps. Okay. Uh, so we'll get there. But we meet Gramps for the first time and she gets up there. By the way, uh, once she's up there, she's of course freaked out. She sees Gramps and she goes, and then he's, he, she tries to run back down the stairs yeah. and he, and Leatherface breaks through the door. And then there's this, this is the part that I loved. Sally don't give a shit. No, dive bombs out the window. <laughs> just dive bombs out the window. Just a dive bomb yeah. out a two-story window, yeah. which, like, practically is, I mean, the house is old, so it's passable. Mm -hmm. If that, But if it was, like, a more well-built house in a right. fabricated, like, there's no way she busting through the window. Right, right, exactly. There's but no it, it's a little forgivable. Sure. Just because sure. of the situation. But I loved it. I oh, loved I did it. too. It was great. It's like she might might have were might as well have been a pool outside because it felt like she just dived out, just dove out. And so, she she dives and she gets away from him. Right, he's chasing her this whole time, and she gets away from him finally. And there's a little bit of uh, relief there mm -hmm. for a moment. And we've built up all this kind of the chasing, and then we've introduced Grandpa, and she finally gets away. And then a little bit more ensues. And then she finally makes her way clear back to the gas station, the gas station, the barbecue, barbecue joint. Yep. I thought that was like far away. Though. I did, too. I did. It, <laughs> there's a lot in this movie where I'm like, wait, it, it, that's not a hop, skip and a jump away. So Sally, to me, must have ran track and field in high school. She's got some serious stamina. <laughs> and Leatherface is keeping up with her. And Leatherface is keeping up with her the whole time. I was listening to commentary, like I mentioned, and the filmmakers were talking about how 
Sally was actually slow in her running. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And how the, <laughs> and there were times where there were shots where uh, Gunner had to had to like slow down. Yeah, yeah. Because he was catching up to her too yeah. quickly. So anyway, Sally gets back to the barbecue joint. We run into Old Man again. And Old Man is part of the cannibal family. And she breaks into the joint. And Old Man's trying to, at least initially, I'm thinking uh, as, a, as a first watch. Now I knew, but as a first watch, I was thinking, oh, he's, he's just trying, he's going to help her. Yeah. And so there's the a salvation. Here's the salvation. This is the guy. This is the savior of the film who's going to help her get away from all this nightmare. Mm -hmm. And and then he kind of just flips a switch, in a sense. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's just great because, again, Hooper play he, he builds up the tension because Leatherface was just right there. Right. And then the cook, the old man, goes out to get the truck, and the door's left open. And you know Leatherface is just right there. So I, I, the whole time, the first time I'm watching this, I'm thinking Leatherface is going to pop in because she's so vulnerable and she's just sitting there. And then she looks at the meat and the radio's on. And, it's and once again, we go to so, – so we knew that Leatherface was right there and then all of a sudden he's not he's and the gone. door's open. And old man's like, it's all okay. The door's open. And you're like, where's Leatherface? He right. should be coming in here tearing this shit up. Right. And then old man goes out to get the truck. And that's another – filmmaker technique and we go back to it and nothing it's insinuated and the and and it's it's kind of it's this in it's this it's this implicit kind of way of putting it together which is sally sees the barbecue and it's not overtly like oh that's human beings right, right. but the it's implicit in the way they use that zoom lens right absolutely and it's like it's it's insinuated that oh sally's finally capturing what's going on absolutely here. and so that push in with the zoom lens is like sally seeing the barbecue and going oh no i'm not in a safe place right yeah right. old man comes back in and then he like i said he flips a switch and becomes radicalized in his own way oh yeah he just and this you can tell he's enjoying himself that's why i don't buy the whole I don't enjoy killing thing. I, I kind of buy the killing, but I, it's almost like he's the he's the preparatory to the kill. He likes yeah, the antagonizing, yeah. Yeah. but he doesn't like to follow through with the actual kill yeah, itself. Could be, could be. Because when he comes back in, then he starts, he knows at that point that she's put two and two together, right? Cause yeah. he, and, and, and then he gets the broom. And that scene actually is a little clunkily put oh, together. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Everything up to this point has been pretty well right. made, but that scene with the broom... Uh, well, he's trying to like batter. Like I'm like Sally, just dive bomb through a window. <laughs> Let's well, be honest. Be taken down by a broom. She could beat the shit out of old man. Exactly. To be 100 percent honest, she could take old man out. Absolutely. So I had a problem with that because I was like, Sally's got this, and there's a little hole there for me to go. Eh, Sally uh, could end this thing right, right. now. He's not mm -hmm. even beating her with the with the the hard end of the broom. Yeah, it's it's the end with the bristles, and he's kind of doing it like a little kid would do it yeah, in an unsure yeah. way. Yeah, he's like poking yeah, her. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, are you like like you are you alive? Right. You... It's like it's like a little kid playing with an in, an insect. Almost. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So old, but nonetheless, he wins the battle and then ties her up, and throws her in the truck. And his his little grin when he's poking her with it, he's like trying to be polite, like as he's Hope driving you're comfortable down there, and then he smiling. <laughs> He's pokes he, her with we it. know now more than ever that he's definitely a creeper. Absolutely. Yeah. They get to the, they get to, they start driving to the house. She's tied up. Then we see hitchhiker. We start putting it together yep. 
in the sense of like, oh, these guys are all part of one big happy family. Exactly. Very dysfunctional happy family. <laughs> I mean, I don't even, I mean, that's the thing about it. You can't even say dis, I mean, it's beyond dysfunction. It's, and he just, the way the, the cook, the old man comes storming in, just looking for a reason to beat the shit out of these other two. And you can tell that he's the older brother. Yeah. I actually thought old man was their dad. I did it too the first time. But I that's saw not it. what it is. No, it's not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when I was thinking about it, I thought he was old, but then we know they're brothers. And then he gets Sally into the house and he starts. Leatherface is submissive to the old man. Mm -hmm. And he's also changed his face. Yeah, because now he's the homemaker. Now he's mom. So now or he, grandma or whoever. Right. So now he's got the woman's face on. So Where's he, dad in all this? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Where's mom? Good question. Was she the decayed body or was that grandma? I think that was grandma. I think that was grandma. Or is this a play into when dads go missing in families, families get dysfunctional? It could be. It could be Toby trying to tell us something. <laughs> so anyway, but but Leatherface has the domestic face on now, which is, is it creepier or is it, where where does it fall in the face changes? Because I think there's, I think there's three of them. Yeah, I think there are. Because um, there's there's the first, and then there's the mom, and then I think at the end it's a dinner, changed again. A dinner, or dinner. He has the pretty, the pretty woman face. Dinner is what they call it is. It. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So he changes, uh, and they start having a, a weird family. And an old man is kind of the dominating, telling people, or at least appears to be the guy mm. that's like telling everybody what to do. They sit down. They're having dinner. Sally's tied up. While they're the eating scene. human beings. Right. And right. this dinner scene is, it's chaotic. It, it, the whole thing is chaos. And when they go to the close-up to her eyeball, I'm just, like, the whole thing is just so uncomfortable. And you could just, and I guess when they were shooting, just the heat was unbearable during this scene. Because they're all in there. They have all the crew in there. It's Texas. It's in the middle of summer. And they are just roasting in that house. Right. And I, I guess the, the smell was terrible. And it was just, and you can just, it comes, it really does come across in that scene. It just, the whole thing is disgusting. It's vile. And also the way that it's edited, because once you start getting in, you see Hitchhiker in there, and then there's kind of a silence. It cuts back to Sally, and you start getting these extreme close-ups of mm -hmm. the eyeball. And it kind of put, this is the one moment, because up to this point I was explaining before, for me, it was very observatory. Now it was real. Right. And it was spooky and, and it's authentic but i was always kind of the just kind of a fly on the wall observing yes. what's going on this scene for me kind of changed that as i was watching it i actually started seeing things through the lens of this character sally yep and it felt like you're kind of in the seat of that of that kitchen table at the dinner table with them and it has to do a little bit too with the editing style for sure which is like it's very abrupt Right. It's very it's got rapid cuts. Some of them don't feel uh, there's no fluidity to it. Yeah. And there's so no continuity. There's either. no continuity because you're on one side and then the other. So it becomes very disorienting. But I think as a result of that, it allows me to kind of actually for the one time for me in the movie, fall into the perspective of or the POV of this particular character. Yeah. Great point. Great point. It's because chaos. then later. So and, and then it's cutting to like Hitchhiker and you don't hear everything he's saying. And then it cuts to old man and he's like laughing, but it almost feels out of sync. Yeah. Oh, totally. Oh, no. Like totally. it just does not. It all feels so disjointed. They threw in multiple takes of the same scene, I think, yeah. what they did. So that scene to me is the one moment where I get to be part of like I'm actually the character's POV. Mm -hmm. Now, 
<clears throat> then they're they're dinner and then they start talking about how they who's gonna kill Sally, basically. Who's whose turn is it? Right? Yep. And then what do they do? They say, We're gonna give it to grandpa. <laughs> hey grandpa, we're gonna give you this one. So uh, Love yeah. it. Love it. So they they bring grandpa down from the t- the stairs. Mm-hmm. Grandpa has his own mask on, right? No, that's just That grandpa. is his face. That's his face. See, I actually thought they put a human skinned face on grandpa it, it looks it, it's very much a prosthetic for sure like it and john dugan he was like 19 years old when he played grandpa yeah he was a young kid yeah but it, it, i mean it looks like a mask and in the commentary toby hooper said grandpa's supposed to be 108 108 years old yeah yeah that's what he said well i just thought the whole time he was dead and they were pretending he was alive yeah but here's where we get to this Utterly disturbing scene. <laughs> and here's the thing. I was, uh, I saw on, on Facebook a friend of mine who lives in Louisiana. Her name's Brooke. Shout out to Brooke. And, I, and she had posted on her page on October 1st. It was, she's like, happy uh, October 1st uh-huh. and happy Texas Chainsaw Massacre Day. So I said, oh, yeah, we're going to do a podcast this week on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I said, Brooke. Throw and a PM her. I said, "Give me your, give me your your scene. Mm-hmm. Give me something that's like that just got you, because right, right. she's a horror fanatic." Sure. And she goes, "Here's I want to read it to you." Okay. She says, "Hey, of course, I'd be happy to share with you my favorite scene. Man, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise is definitely one of my favorites. I even named one of my cats Chainsaw. <laughs> I gotta say, the best from uh, best from the original for me has got to be Grandpa." He is the creepiest thing about the movie, and I love it. When they are getting him to hit her over the head with a hammer, oh my God. and of course, when he is sucking on her finger, oh man, if that doesn't give you the creeps from old Gramps sucking blood from a girl's finger, I don't know what will. But thanks so much. And then she goes on to say thanks. And then she sent me the scene yeah. on YouTube with that, and I just responded to her. Thanks, Brooke. That's great. Old Gramps is definitely a creepy motherfucker. Dude, the joy... And, for, and props to John Dugan who played him because I don't know how you bring anything to that character, but the joy that he has when he's sucking on and that, that finger. That's what oh makes it so God. creepy. And I was watching it with my wife, and, I, and I, this is the second viewing. And I, right. told, I told my wife, okay, watch his jig here. Yeah. He gets jiggy with it. Oh, and, and you hear the sucking sound, and his, his hands are going up. He's doing his little dance. Even his, his legs start his, his moving. His legs start kicking. He's so happy. That dance is disturbing. It is so disturbing. It's I, it's, I love it. I love it. I mean, I want to be him for Halloween. That would be a good one. That would be. That would be a good one to be. It, it, it's going to require a little bit of work right. in the prosthetic area. Right. You know, well, my girlfriend actually came up with that, with that one. I, I think it would be so much fun. That would be a good one to be. But that scene is utterly creepy. Oh. And... The other thing, once after he's already sucked the blood, and by the way, also in the commentary, which I found interesting about this scene, was Gunner was the one that was cutting her. Yeah, and he actually cut and her. And he actually cut her finger. And Well, because they were getting, they couldn't do it right. It wasn't happening. They said they were like 12 or 13 hours into the day or whatever and he was it was. so frustrated that he just said, fuck <clears> it. And he took the safety thing off and cut her. She he's, didn't know until years later when they were at a, like a convention, like a Comic-Con type thing. And he told the story in front, on a panel. Yeah. And she had no idea that he did it on purpose. Yeah. And so she was pissed at him after that. <laughs> great. I mean, great story, man. Like, 
I, I, I mean, well, you've been on set. I've been on set. It's 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 horrible. Whatever it takes. When you're 13, 14 hour, whatever the time yeah. is at that point, when you're in overtime, it's time to get the. You got it. It's time it, to man. take off the scotch tape from the from the knife. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but that scene. So Gramps does his jig. He dances. He gets a little juice. It's so yes, disturbing. Thanks, Brooke, for that shout out because I agree with you. I think that scene is utterly, it's yeah, it's good, gross. good, good choice, Brooke. Good that, choice, that's, seriously. Um, but but also at that point, once he cuts the finger, and then uh, Leatherface is trying to hit her or uh, help Grandpa hit Sally over yep. the head. It's unsuccessful every time yep. until they finally. Does let he actually kind of does it himself, doesn't he? I think or so, does, but they also drop it on her head once or twice. Too, yeah, on accident. But they get her where she right. starts to act. Now we actually start to see yes. blood. And up to this point, there hasn't been a whole lot of blood, like we mentioned. Right. And so, but it now now here's one here's a caveat or a little uh, problem that I had in the Sally escape. Okay. It just was too easy. Oh, totally, totally. She just flings her arms around. Like, she's out. Within that was contrived. Seconds, she's free, and these two guys are just wildly, frantically later after they get outside chasing after. And by now, the night has already become day. Now it's morning. Yep. And but that I did have. I wanted more. Just in the moment, I just wanted a little more struggle. I I wanted a little more like, you know, a battle. It's got to be something else, right? Between them just to kind of show that she she's was strong and like forcefully got right, out right and then once they're running down the road okay like the craziness can ensue sure but that scene for me was the other one that kind of was like okay let's yeah, right let's strengthen right. that one a little bit but like you said and like we we're talking about like it's also like if that was the scene and they were on set all day they're just like I think they're just they were just done. They're like let's get it filmed. Get out of so, here. We got to get out of here. <laughs> exactly. But Sally escapes nonetheless, right? Um, and starts running down the road. Yep. And Hitchhiker and Leatherface are after her. They follow her. Hitchhiker's doing like a weird maneuver all the way down, following well, her. And it's funny because you could tell he's taking pleasure because he could have got her at any point, but he's just slicing her in the back with his razor. He's just slicing or slicing. Okay, because I was unclear. I right. I wasn't. It's hard to decipher that that's happening. Right. So now that you say that, I go, okay, it makes more sense. Yeah. Because up to that point, I thought Hitchhiker was just doing a weird taunting because he's right. weird. Because in the original he's scene strange. of the film, we know that the dude's crazy. Right. So that makes sense. He's actually slashing he's her. Slicing her back with the with the razor. Right. Okay. They get out to the road. And then Black Maria shows up. Black Maria shows up. <laughs> that's the name of the truck. Which, for those that follow film, Black Maria is, is Thomas Edison's film studio, or it was when he started, right. you know, uh, looking into filmmaking and right. putting together film. I think it's a shout out. I don't know for sure. I, I think it's got to be. I would think it's got to be. So the Black Maria trucker comes up. He stops. Sally's out in the middle of the road. Leatherface is out there. Hitchhiker's out there. And the truck driver, like. Well, he hits Hitchhiker first. So oh, I can't it, forget about that. Yeah, he slams Hitchhiker. I can't forget about that. So, um, just imagine, and I always, I always tend to put myself in that trucker's shoes for a second. Imagine that. So you're driving down the road, you hit someone, you stop to pull over, and all of a sudden, this huge dude with a chainsaw is chasing a girl. I, I just, what is going through your head at that point? And I also, you know, what's funny though too. I also, and I didn't think of it in those terms, and that makes sense. But I also thought this truck driver is a big motherfucker. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like I, I think he, and I know, I know Leatherface is wielding a chainsaw. Right. So there's that. Right. But I was like, this dude's a big guy. Yeah. He could take him. I feel like he could handle he could it. Take him. Yeah. So I was like, why is he running like a little wuss? Right. But then I realized also, okay, the chains, I'm still playing that in. Sure. Him. Sure. But the truck driver, so he hits Hitchhiker. Hitchhiker yeah. gets flattened, which then answers my question later that in Texas two. Chain in, in two. Um, but but Hitchhiker's gone. Yep. It's actually a great scene, too. Just like it still kind of looks real. Like you kind of tell how they used right. it. But it still feels. It feels like you're watching something happen. And also the time. way they cut it together, it feels like it's mm-hmm. happening in real time. Yeah. So Hitchhiker's dead. The trucker gets out. Sally runs around there, jumps. They they jump in the car. Leatherface comes after him, yep. hitting the door with the chainsaw. Uh, they get out the other side of the car, start running down. It all happens real fast. And you don't, it doesn't cut to the inside of the truck at all, which no. is interesting because most movies would do that. Yeah. And, uh, but it doesn't do that at all. You just, that's why it feels so real. And then the, the trucker kind of just, dis, the truck driver just kind of disappears. Well, he gets, he gets sliced by Leatherface. He does? Yeah, he does. No, hold on. Here's what happens. He comes out the other side of the truck, and he has the wrench. That's right. He has the wrench. He grabs a wrench out of his truck, mm-hmm. and then he becomes like Nolan Ryan. <laughs> Fires a fastball. It's like a fi- <laughs> perfect shot right down <laughs> <Exactly>. the middle. <laughs> Knocks Leatherface over. And this is the first time I think we've seen physically a vulnerability to Leatherface. Yep. And, and that's just kind of... Okay, I can I can right. I can take it. Um but Leatherface falls and then the chainsaw the chainsaw actually cuts him. Yep. Yep. And it looks very real. It's very kind of gross. It's a and very see, like, precarious the, shot they did with that because they had the stunt man and it was the real buzzing chainsaw. Yeah. Right above Gunnar Hansen's leg. They said it was and he had a metal plate over his yeah, leg. Yeah. And, and so it was he was very nervous to, to shoot that. But it came out well. came out really well. It, it did come out well. And it looked real. Yeah. And the way they had kind of the meat the come meat out come of out. it. Yep, yep. So uh, Leatherface takes a fastball to the head. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> uh, truck driver, does he – I don't think he gets – he doesn't get hit by Leatherface, does he? Because at that point, he, he's gone because then the uh, the – the other truck, just the little pickup truck, comes racing down the road and does like a weird. God, I just watched. I swear to God, the the trucker got got chainsawed. I could be wrong though. I could be wrong. I don't think he does. He might not. I don't think he does. Uh, we'll do a fact check. We, we literally just watched. This. We'll do a fact check. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but he. I don't think he does. But anyway, the the pickup driver or the pickup there's now a pickup truck coming down the opposite mm-hmm. way of the road and he does this crazy U-turn and Sally and. That's a weird. It all just happens so fast. It, you're, it's disorienting. I'm trying to figure out is. it's it's what's going on, but it works. And the only thing I had a problem with once again was Sally getting into the truck because oh, yeah, yeah. it takes like like she dive bombed out a window, right? And she can't get into the truck. And she can't get in the back of that damn pickup right. truck that's gonna free her, right? Because you watch that from that long shot. And she's trying to get over the wheel well. It's so frustrating. And she's like, and maybe they're playing into that. Sure. But at the same time, the 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 practicality for me is like, this girl's dive bombed. No, by the way, not just out of one window. Oh, that's right. She's that's dive bombed right. out, out of two, two, out of windows. two windows. Exactly. So she should be dive bombing into right. the back of that pickup truck. Right. But she gets in the pickup truck finally. And this whole time, chain or uh, Leatherface is after her with the chainsaw. 
and the truck drives away. And it's actually this really beautiful shot. This is where it picks back up and it there that all happens so quickly mm -hmm. and I'm trying to kind of figure it out. And then it kind of gets to the point where they the, the pickup truck drives away and here you have this famous scene of great ending shot. <clears throat> great ending shot. It's the famous scene and a lot of people know like now what I'm trying to figure out now, I love the shot of Sally in the pickup yes, truck she's and her crying. response, laugh crying, and, and now she's actually covered in blood. Yep. And then uh, the shot of, of Leatherface in the street, and he's doing, we're talking about, he picked up some moves from Gramps. <laughs> exactly. He's doing his own jig. Because he's doing his own yeah. jig. What's that about? Give me, give me your... You know, I don't know. I don't, they, he kind of just started, from what I remember uh, reading about this, he just kind of started doing it. There, they told him, you know, just kind of swing the chainsaw around. And he didn't know what they meant, so he just kind of did it. I don't really know the significance or what it means, especially in context of the character, because I don't know if Leatherface would do that. I can't picture him doing that. I don't picture him having the mental capacity to be that frustrated to swing the chainsaw around and show anger that way, because he's been taught not to show anger his whole life. So I don't know. It, to me, it feels out of place, but it's a gorgeous shot, and it's iconic. It it does it doesn't fit uh, the film, and I agree with that. But then you forgive it. Yes. In some weird way, I did. I forgave it. I was like, I don't under I don't understand what he's doing, right? Emotionally, or if that fits his character, like you said, or it doesn't fit his character, but part of the style and this is funny because up to this point stylized beautiful cinematography really hasn't been a driving Takes force a right and then this last shot's really just beautifully done and you're getting that golden hour yep and and it's it just looks real beautiful and it, it also leaves it open-ended he's doing his dance in the street freaking out right and then it just kind of, that's it. And I don't know if that shot would be as effective or as iconic if they didn't do a hard cut to black right there. And you're just left with the sound of the chainsaw and it just cuts to black. Yeah. And then it's black for a second and then the credits start popping up. And the up. credits start rolling. And there is a resolute ending to a degree. I mean, everyone's been slaughtered up to this point. But he does decide to let the heroine or Sally... Mm -hmm live and so there's a there is a a finale in a sense that like she's now escaped yes this horrific event of the texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> exactly well i mean the tagline for the movie is who will survive and what will be left of them mm -hmm. and that's exactly i mean imagine going on how do you even well i mean sally that? is she may have lived physically right but mentally She's dead. Which brings me to the, the, the prevailing theory is that this movie is about the Vietnam War. And that's kind of and it makes sense in that context because those, you know, they went through hell. Those soldiers went through hell and they had to do and see horrific things. And how do you survive after that? That's very interesting. And I think I've heard hints of that. But when you say that, uh, I can I can see that and start to contextualize that concept or that theory. Um. Because the the idea, like we just said, is that Sally's now has to go on and live this life. Yep. And she'll never be able to overcome having seen what she saw. Exactly. Exactly. It's always going to be part of her. Yep. 
and, 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 so, and like you said, you know, the whole thing is just about death. There's just death everywhere you look. And so that you know, starting to put these little these these through lines together and these tying themes, I like that summation of it. Um, I'm always I always like looking for like what's that real deeper meaning mm-hmm. and what's that subtext to the film, and I like that one. You know, '74, and I'm not a historian, so Vietnam's like what mid '60s to mid '70s ish. I think so. I it's think that so. ten year span, and, and I could be off. Apologies to to those that served in, and and I don't know the history so it behind ended it. In April on April 30th, 1975, so a year after, not even a year after this was released. And so that's interesting because um, there's a lot of historical and cultural and societal conflict going on in the late 60s early 70s with the the with 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 our culture and with people um kind of coming across as like anti war mm-hmm. and and rightfully so but at the same time there was also kind of a backlash against if if I'm recalling this correctly there's a little bit of a backlash against uh the soldiers absolutely um, although it's not their fault, I think it was. I, I there's really kind of was a, his, a public, historical thing there. A public who is, and we don't want to get too deep into this, but it was, I think it was a public who was so tired of this thing, and they didn't know where to place their anger. So that's, they placed that it sounds on the, right. Right. There. I would say that's fair. Yeah. And so they didn't know where to put it. And and the reality is, it's quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. And if we're gonna take that that thesis from this film, um, I could see that tying in. Definitely. Which is like people getting thrown into situations that that are real right uh and not and not being able to there's nothing you can do about it nope and then you got to come out the other end uh pretending or 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 living as if it didn't happen right to a degree right so that's an interesting thesis i like that and this you know usually with any movie, uh, if it if it affects me, I like to find out what it's about. I like to find the t- the subtext. This one, I've kind of tried to avoid doing that because yeah. I just I just love this movie so much for what it. It's like what we talked about with Nightmare. It's childhood trauma, and for some reason, I keep coming back to the well. Yeah, and I'm I'm searching for another horror movie that will make me feel what I felt the first time I saw this. And the closest I've come to is watching Hereditary. That was the, that was the closest I've come. Uh, to just having that feeling of just like, oh my God, yeah, what did I just witness? That that is a, a, a well put together movie. That was actually filmed here yeah. in Utah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So we won't get into Hereditary, although that's a good. That's a good. There's a whole. There's a whole podcast in that. Yeah. Look, th- this is this is a great uh, run through of of really. Like we, you know, we talked about pioneers in in the horror genre, and if you're looking at it, kind of creating uh, uh, a, an idea of what it means to be a film of of horror, uh, I think this is up there amongst the tops. I agree. I agree. Uh, want to read a couple ratings uh, just to kind of give context, uh, and then get yours. Uh, so Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, 1974. It's got an IMDb ranking of 7.5 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes has it currently at 88% on the critics and 82% on the audience. Okay, again, the, the critics are higher on it than the, than the this, audience. This happened last time, no? Yeah. And I think the critics are right again. Yeah, I do too. Um, I think the last three movies that I've 
joined, joined yeah. with this. It's been that way. Yeah, that's interesting because I always feel like usually it's the opposite of that. Yeah, me and too. the critics are wrong and the audience is right. Right. So <clears throat> we just give those out just to kind of give an idea. But then if I if I ask you, Alan, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre enthusiast that you are and the horror buff that you are when it comes to films, if you have to place it on a on a one to ten, where are you going to put it? Well, it, I got a feeling I might know where this goes. It's tough for me. Like I, again, I'm a tough grader, but I love this movie, and I don't know how much is nostalgia, how much is shock value, but I'm giving it a nine, and that's about as high of a rating as I can give a movie. Uh, that's interesting. I thought you were going to go a ten. No, I, I, I don't think I'll ever give out a ten unless it's just flawless. I've given. I'm a high grader. Uh huh. And I have given out a ten before. Um, this movie for me, uh, similarly, like I think it's really fun it's darkly disturbing in its reality mm-hmm. um and i like it for that because we're not setting up a, a a supernatural phenomenon right 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 you know with the other horror villains and we talked about this last time where does um these mo- where do these monsters fit on the all-time horror mm-hmm. uh, scale and so we gave i gave kruger the rating of one last time you came in with two on Kruger, which only leads me to believe you're going to throw Leather, <laughs> Leatherface as number one. Leatherface is number one, for sure. And I would actually kind of include all the family in Leatherface. Yeah, the cannibal, the cannibal, yeah. fa- the families yeah. of cannibals. So for me, I, Leatherface is an interesting character. And he's, once again, I like where you kind of led me because I don't know that I was initially thinking of it that way. Um, with some of the deeper emotionality mm-hmm. of who he might be. I like playing into the idea of who his past, what his past might have to do with his current state. Um, but, and, and he's absolutely brutal. I mean, the brutality yes. is evident. Absolutely. In, in, the, first, in the first kill, uh, when Kirk gets taken out, great kill scene. And so, but Leatherface still like, there's, st- there's so much confusion surrounding him for sure. me. That I'm trying to figure out where to place him. Because well, he's not hes not your typical scary monster. There's some there's humanity in him. Yeah. And you don't know what it is, but there's humanity in actually all these characters, I think, except maybe the hitchhiker. He's just, he's bananas out of his mind. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I understand, like, because when you think horror icons, you're thinking just pure evil, brutal evil. Not the, not the Leatherface. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. Know? But, I, but I, really, I know what you're saying there's an innocence to him that kind of I, I can understand why people why it would knock him down. Yeah, there's a duality to his character. And uh, so I'm going to throw like I for me, I, I would probably place uh, Michael Myers ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I might go I might go I might go with Leatherface or the cannibal family in like a three or four spot. OK, so you probably go, I have him at three. Okay. But 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 I may even throw. You know, you know, looking at something like uh, like Jason or some like Jason mm-hmm. Voorhees or uh, I think just for the longevity of what the franchises of those yes, are. Yeah. You know, because the, the one thing that Texas doesn't have for me is I mean, it's got reboots and prequels and mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, but I kind of like the longevity of a franchise when it comes to horror. I think. Oh, sure. Culturally, we're kind of into that. You know, look at new ones like Saw, like we, even, right, you right. know, like you like the, you like, so I actually might throw Jigsaw up there too. He could be t- up there. In the top five, five or six. But Leatherface, I'm still trying to figure out. And it's maybe tough. it takes another viewing again. It's tough. To really start to look into it deeper. But I'll throw him in the top five. 
Yeah, I think so. I'll I'll throw him in the top five. Yeah, I think so. Um, And and the reason I would do that is for his... The humanity's there, but I didn't get into that as much as as I thought I would until you explained that to me. And I go, oh, that makes sense. However... uh, the authenticity, the realism yeah, yeah. Uh, makes him scary. That, that's what's, that's just what stuck with me. And I just remember, I watched this the first time at my buddy's house, and he kind of lived in a place with a big yard, lots of woods around his house, and uh, getting picked up by my mom and having to go out in that. It was just terrifying. Yeah. To make the... the, the Somebody the, cut that wood. Seriously. Like the, the 10-yard sprint from his front door to my mom's car just scared the shit out of me. Yeah. More terrified than I've ever been in my entire life. I mean, the idea of cannibalism is scary. Yes. And so there's a lot of elements. Look, this is a great movie. Um, I'm going to come in out of 10. I'm going to go in. I'll, I, I'm a higher grader. Uh, I, I'll actually give it, I'm going to go an 8, an 8 out of 10. Nice. Yeah. Um, so let me, let me, let me read you. Uh, I want to read you one one of these one of these plot lines. I'm okay. not gonna I'm not gonna read them all, but being being the uh, the professional that you are, um, I want to I want to read this plot line to you. Let's see if I can get it to come up here. It's there. the worst when you need it right now. And the, the internet's no, okay. Here's one from uh, anonymous uh, internet person. <laughs> I won't give their handle out. Two siblings and three of their friends en route to visit their grandfather's grave in Texas end up falling victim to a family of cannibalistic psychopaths and must survive the terrors of Leatherface and his family. I mean, it's accurate. Okay. Don't love it, though. Don't love it. I don't love it. There's something missing there. Yeah, yeah. Right? Something missing there. Here's one more. A group of five hippies on a road trip. (laughs) Sorry, I got to start over. (laughs) A group of five hippies on a road trip through the backwaters of the of 1970s rural Texas fall prey to a murderous cannibalistic family making up of a leather-masked chainsaw-wielding maniac, his knife-wielding grave robber brother, and their cannibal chef or cannibal chief father and decaying grandfather? I, I, I mean, I don't like that one. It, oh, are you, are you still going? It's convoluted. It's, it's convoluted. You're giving way too much away. It's I don't know if there's a way to write a synopsis for this that accurately describes what you're going to feel and see. I got to read this last one. Okay. Sally Hardesty and her wheelchaired brother Franklin, along with three friends of travel to a cemetery where they have been where there have been grave robbings to continue their trip, they pick up a hitchhiker. The hitchhiker turns out to be a crazy, oh. so they drop him off and proceed with the trip. <laughs> I can't even move on. And now you I'm gonna did a th- good job. You made it I way can't. far in that without laughing. And the handle was Harry Potter something. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Oh my god. I'm sorry. There was about another paragraph and I couldn't oh, get yeah, through yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I don't I agree. I don't know that there's even yeah, you know, you could write a plot, of course, or sure. a summary. Uh, but this film's got a. It, uh, what I do appreciate about it is that there's some rounded out characters. They're deeply complex, mm-hmm. uh, multi-dimensional. We're unsure how to and and the multi-dimensionality of Leatherface is great. I like that you alluded to that. And I just think this is a fun movie, and I think for uh, darkly fun, I think for the month of October, this is a have to watch. I agree. You got to go sit down and watch it if you want to get 
kind of uh, deeply disturbed. <laughs> there's always, when I was younger, I used to watch a lot of horror movies at Halloween, and there's always one that I would watch, and I'd be like, all right, I'm done watching horror movies until next year. Yep. This is that movie. If this you is were, it. Yeah, I really believe that. That's a great outro. I think go watch The Texas Chainsaw Massacre for as your last film this month in the horror month, and you won't want to watch another one for another year. Totally agree. Awesome. Alan, thanks for thanks for talking. Oh, thanks for letting me jabber about this. This is uh, Tame Aperture Podcast. Next week, we are going to talk Fright Night. 1985 version because there's a newer contemporary version uh with uh our friend donnie from louisiana he's gonna skype in he is a, a film producer film instructor and horror enthusiast and he's gonna bring up the classic 1985 fright night this is the tame aperture podcast signing out thanks for listening take care everybody the tame aperture podcast is produced by dutch angle pictures in association with studio b productions listen watch and subscribe on apple podcasts google play spotify and youtube